college was a perfect experience for me because it allowed me to get out of my shell. It gave me so much confidence. Everything about college, professors, friends, peers, a lot of the courses that I took, I learned a lot about myself. That Beyonce contest, it was my senior year. That's when I was like at the peak and I just felt very confident in myself. I was like, why not? I think I have all the appropriate costumes to replicate one of Beyonce's outfits. And so I was trying to replicate her Super Bowl outfit. I quickly did my makeup, wore this bomber jacket, and then I wore fishnets and some black high heels. And I rushed over to the tower where they were filming, but it was just so crowded. And so I don't think I actually got to be a part of the contest, but there were a lot of like news reporters and journalists who were interested in the whole event. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 32 of the So This Is My Wife podcast. I'm your host and producer, Ling Yao, and today's guest is Derry Nguyen, aka Lap Shenanigans, aka the Asian millennial TikTok version of Bill Nye the Science Guy with over 600,000 subscribers. Derry was such a fun guest to have, and we talked about everything from his love of science and theater to how that transitioned to him making viral memes and eventually opening his own Facebook page, getting his videos picked up by the likes of Unilad, and eventually building an incredible community across all social media platforms, particularly on TikTok. But before we begin, if you've been enjoying this show and you want an easy way to support it, please leave a review on iTunes. It's probably the best way to help others find the show and I would really appreciate it. And now, are you ready to meet Darren? Let's go. Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya. Growing up, I mean, if it isn't obvious, I'm gay. So <laughs> so growing up, I was a very gay, flamboyant child. And on top of that, I think I've always liked science so I've, I've always been curious curious with my own sexuality but also like <laughs> curious with things that run the world and so i watched a lot of science shows like bill nye the science guy and i loved love loved the magic school bus in fact the channel pbs i feel like i spent a lot of my my childhood watching shows on pbs my parents were both immigrants from vietnam they escaped the Vietnam War and they came to the U.S. in the 80s. They actually immigrated separately and they met in Houston, Texas. And they had my older brother, Darius, and then they had me, Darian. And we're seven years apart. I would say that we were poor growing up, but we were very frugal and very resourceful. So definitely I learned to not waste money at a young age. And my parents owned a convenience store. We would always play with the cardboard boxes that we had and just create things out of them. I spent most of my childhood maintaining the store, restocking items, cleaning up the windows and just cleaning up the store in general. Unfortunately, the store was located in not so good area. And one day, 2005, this is when I was actually 10 years old, we actually got robbed. And I remember sitting down eating my McDonald's, I was eating a pancake, and I heard noise behind me. And this is behind the counter. I heard noise behind me. And I turned around and I saw 
someone that I didn't recognize holding my mom with a gun. And immediately I sprinted out. And our store is located in a plaza. So we had some neighboring stores and I ran across the street where there was a mechanic shop. And I just remember yelling help. And then they came up to me and asked, you know, Darian, what's wrong? And I just told them we're getting robbed right now. And right when I told them that the two robbers ran out of the store into their car and drove off. And then one of the mechanics got into their car, drove off, chased them down, while the other two mechanics escorted me inside the store. And I remember hearing my mom crying and I was terrified trying to find my dad. And we found him in the very back of the store, laying down in a pool of blood. And at that moment, I I just already knew like my dad is not going to survive. It was a lot of blood. And so I lost my dad at the age of 10. Honestly, I don't think that really held me back from anything. I was just entering middle school. I have a very fixated mindset of always trying to prepare for the future. I think at the time, I didn't really allow myself to process the emotions. But over time, I just kind of let that subside and really focus on my studies. And I tried not to let that hold me down. If anything, I try to use that to my advantage to be positive. And so that definitely was a motivator for me to really do well in life, that life is short. So just really have fun because at any moment you can pass away. And I kind of stuck by that for my entire life. So I've always been fascinated with science. And so my long-term goal was, okay, I'm going to become a doctor. But then one day I had to take communications and speech. I remember for one of the assignments, the teacher asked us to prepare a speech. And on the day that we had to present the speech to the class, I realized, oh my gosh, I completely messed up this assignment. Oh man, this is embarrassing. I have two more people before I actually give my speech. Okay, let me just improvise. So I remember getting up to the classroom, holding my my speech that I wrote up, but I'm not going to read it. I am going to completely improvise and I improvised it. And surprisingly, it went very well. And the speech teacher, I think she noticed that I improvised it. And so she pulled me aside after class and asked, Darian, like, can I look at your paper? So she looks at it and she said, you didn't read this, did you? And I said, no, because I completely misunderstood the assignment and I just didn't want to make a fool out of myself. So I just improvised on the spot. And she said, wow, that's very impressive. Well, I'm just letting you know that I am the director for the drama club. And I think you would enjoy the drama club if you joined it. I was like thinking, I'm not going to attend drama club. I don't have time. I want to pursue a career in science and I just don't have time for theater or whatever. And I don't know what it was, but I thought, well, drama club, let's just check it out. I love entertaining others and maybe I can use this to my advantage and try to entertain others in drama club. So I attended the first meeting, loved it. And then ever since I went to that meeting, I just started attending other meetings and I attended all these competitions. And for my very first competition, I won eighth place out of like a hundred students on, I think it was delivering a humorous skit. And that really just persisted throughout high school where I did a lot of science AP courses. And then I never took any theater classes in, in high school, but I was involved with drama club and participated in the plays and the musicals. And then on top of that, I was also involved with swimming, orchestra. I think I like to really keep myself busy. I, I started playing the viola in the fifth grade. So when I was 10 years old, and then I stopped playing during my sophomore year in college. 
Were you in this musical, the 25th annual Putnam? Yes, yes. I was in the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, where I played Vice Principal Ponch. And I love this role so much because out of all the roles in this musical, my character required a lot of improv. And I love improv because this is a very interactive musical where we invite three audience members on the stage. And the whole musical is based around a group of children literally involved in a spelling bee. We ask them beforehand if, if they want to be a part of the show. And they're actually on stage in the very beginning. And then I actually call them up to the stand and ask them to spell a word. And it's all real. Like none of this is scripted. I will ask them to spell a word or I'll tell them the, the definition of the word and the origin of the word. And if they get it right, then they actually get to go and sit back down. And if they get the word wrong, we break out into song and we sing goodbye and we have someone escort them off stage. I have a list of all these words that I can give them with the definition and the language of origin and it's used in a sentence. And it just was so fun on my part. You were saying that you were a hyper child. What were you up to? I mean, you were spending time with your grandma's tailor shop as well, right? Watching Bill Nye the Silence Guy. Oh my God, you really did your homework. Yes. So uh, early, early on when my parents purchased the store, I spent a lot of time at my grandma's tailor shop where I would sit at my grandma's tailor shop and really just watch Channel 8 or PBS. I vividly remember before waiting for Bill Nye to get on, I would watch this show about yoga. And I remember waiting and staring at the clock until Bill Nye's show came on because I was super excited. I There's something so magical about his show that made me love it as a kid. And I think it's how, I think his energy as a child, seeing an adult, his energy matched mine as a child. I think that made him seem so relatable. And not only was his character relatable to me, but he was just conveying science in such an interesting manner that made me love science even more. And you said as what you were really curious about everything, including your sexuality. So at what point did that come up and you realized that you're actually gay? And was it something that was difficult for your family to come to terms with? I think as a kid, I never really understood who I liked just because hormones having kicked in. At such a young age, you don't really understand what it feels like to love someone or to like find attraction in anyone, in my opinion. So I I think growing up, I, I did crush on some guys and some girls. But when I look back at those moments, I don't think I really like them. I think I just like the idea of pretending to like someone, if that makes sense. So once I entered middle school, maybe like eighth grade, that's when hormones kicked in and I really started crushing on a lot of my classmates. And I remember laying in bed one day realizing, oh my gosh, I think I'm gay. And I started crying because I felt like no one was going to accept me. And I'm a planner. So I plan everything out and I said, it's okay. Like I can just suppress this and pretend to like girls. I'll marry a woman. I'll have uh, a wife, I'll have kids and no one will know. It's okay. It's my own secret. But I think entering high school, freshman year, my feelings for guys was so strong that I came out to my close group of friends that I grew up with and they were just so, so supportive. And that meant the world to me. And slowly throughout the next four years, I just came out to all my friends. And by the end of my senior year in high school, the whole school knew. And everyone was so accepting. And I'm definitely lucky to be surrounded in that environment. 
And I think my peak was when I entered a UT Austin. It's like gay central of Texas. That's where I completely felt like myself. When I came back home for the holidays, my freshman, sophomore year, actually, I came out to my, my older brother and my cousins and they were all super accepting. My brother was surprised. And I'm thinking like, why? why? <laughs> yeah, like, why are you surprised? But he doesn't have a good gaydar. Yes. <laughs> He's very oblivious. I think at one moment he was like, oh, that might explain some things. <laughs> like, yeah, that explains everything. But I haven't officially come out to my mom or like the other adult relatives. But let's be honest, I'm sure they know. <laughs> it's something that we haven't really sat down and had like an official talk. I feel like it's kind of unnecessary. I'm sure my mom knows. In fact, a couple months ago, she kind of brought it up herself and asked, Darian, so are you dating anyone? Are you dating any girls? And I'm like, no. Any guys? And I said, no. And I'm being brutally honest. I don't know. It just made me a little bit uncomfortable. So I switched topics and I shouldn't have. And I think in that moment, it was such a good opportunity for me to officially come out to her. But I didn't. And I should have. I mean, it's a big moment. Huge, huge moment. Yeah. But the thing is, like, my mom is, like, my number one supporter on all my videos. She's seen every single of my videos that I put on Facebook, on Instagram, and she's super supportive. And I know that she knows, but I just don't want to have that conversation with her because I know I'm going to be awkward. And that's something that I just have to do and just rip off the Band-Aid and just do it. But I don't know. There's something that's a part of me I can't explain that makes me a little nervous. Maybe it's the fact that there is some like Asian traditional value of you just don't come out to your parents or you just don't come out in general. I don't know. I really don't know. In Climb Forest High, you loved entertaining so much. Did you not feel as though that might be something you wanted to pursue full time? For the longest time, I was very narrow-minded in that every subject stayed in its own lane. For me, if I wanted to become a doctor, then I just got to go all out in only science. Yeah, I'm pursuing theater, but it's just for fun. Like I have no desire to do anything with it, but my main focus is going to be science. And it's funny that you mentioned that because one of the theater directors came up to me, I think a couple days before graduation and pulled me aside in the hallway and told me, Darian, I know you said you want to become a doctor, but I just know that you still want to pursue something in theater. You don't have to do medicine. You don't have to do science at all. Because I know how passionate you are in theater. And I told him, yeah, I'm very passionate in theater, but my end goal is to become a doctor. I don't think pursuing a career in theater, doing anything theater related will help even propel me to get to my goals. I was kind of lying to myself when I said this, that I have no desire to do anything in theater. And I will never forget that conversation. It's always replaying in my head because he read me like a book. And he was right. I entered college only wanting to study biochemistry. But in the back of my mind, I just wished that I could still be involved with theater. I thought about it during my freshman and sophomore year. And then finally, I went up to my biochemistry advisor and asked, is it okay if I add theater as my second major? And he said, it's doable. It's not uncommon. You could definitely do it. Definitely, you have to apply for the theater and dance department. So the theater majors and the dance majors, they're all under the same department. I have a degree in theater and dance, but that's a huge misconception. I actually don't dance at all. It's all theater. It's all theater, baby. (laughs) And so so I signed up to be a part of the theater and dance department, and I requested to have theater as my second major. But I think at the time, I had already racked up too many hours 
And so when I spoke with a theater and dance advisor, he actually said, no, like you cannot join because uh, our school has a very strict policy on graduating within four years. And so they thought, well, if you're already this deep into your major, how are you going to feasibly take all four years of theater classes and squeeze that into the next remainder semesters? And I said, oh, like I can do it. It's going to be tough. I'm going to rack up a lot of hours for every semester, but I think I can do it. And Note that I was still pre-med at this time. So not only am I taking classes for my degree, but I'm also taking a lot of prerequisite classes for medical school. The advisor just told me like, no, I'm sorry, we can't let you. So then I had to petition to get into the department. I petitioned and I finally got in. So then my junior year, my third year in college, that was going to be my first semester of taking any theater courses ever. I had to squeeze four years worth of theater classes in those two years. And it was, I wouldn't say tough. It was fun. It was fun. It was a lot of work. I don't regret it at all. My first semester, junior year, I took 19 hours. And then the next semester, I took 22 hours. And then the following semester, 19. And then the very last semester in college, I took 23 hours. And oh boy, that was so, so much fun. And I still, at the time, separated the two subjects, the two entities. Science was staying in its own lane. Theater was staying in its own lane. I'm so focused on wanting to get into research and medical school. And theater was just for funsies because I never took any formal classes in middle and high school. And I thought this is a perfect opportunity for me to take classes in college because if you're a full-time student, then you have a flat tuition rate. So I thought, well, why not add theater as my second major with no extra cost? And that's what I did. After I graduated, I think that's when I really had to take a step back and think, do I really want to go to medical school? What was it about medicine that drew you in? Do you think it was related in some way to your dad and wanting to be a doctor to save people? I think subconsciously, that was one of the reasons. But I think I've always been fascinated with just surgery in general. And you really like organic chemistry and biochem in high school. Yes, yes. So, okay, with those two subjects, especially organic chemistry, I love problem solving. And organic chemistry is the perfect subject because you have to memorize a lot of what are called mechanisms. And the analogy that I like to give to other students about organic chemistry is that with a lot of the concepts, we're asked, how do you get from point A to point B? How do you make a hamburger bun a meat patty, chopped lettuce, tomatoes into a perfectly cooked hamburger. Well, the first mechanism is to cut the bread. The second mechanism is to cut the tomatoes. The third mechanism is to cut the lettuce, cook the meat. And then the next mechanism is to assemble the hamburger. And so you have these each individual steps or components or mechanisms to get from point A to point B. That's what I love the most about that class trying to solve those types of problems. And biochemistry is kind of like that too, where we are trying to understand some diseases and some of these don't have answers yet. And I think that's what makes research so exciting where we have all these answers and we have a fundamental knowledge of biochemistry and how things work. But I guess there's a specific disease that no one that no one knows about or no one really understands. And that's the part of research that really drives me, that really fascinates me. And I think that's why I was having a tough time trying to decide, do I want to do medical school or do I want to go into research? Actually, after I graduated, I decided to take a year off, a gap year, apply and work as a research technician to really figure things out. 
you mentioned theater while you were at University of Texas. Yeah. You had this special deal where you got to watch all the Broadway shows that came to town. Oh my, yeah. So on campus, we had a venue where a lot of Broadway shows that were touring, that's where they performed. And the theater department had this deal where if you paid, I think, $60 a semester, you can purchase these Broadway shows for only $10. Paying that $60, you and your friend can buy $10 tickets. And so my friend and I did that. And so we split the costs. And so she paid $30, I paid $30. And then we also paid our $10 for those tickets. And oh my gosh, I wish I had known about this sooner. I didn't know about this until I think my second semester during sophomore year. And I saw so many shows that I loved. Kinky Boots, Cinderella, Motown, Annie, Newsies, Cabaret, the Carol King musical. And I think that that made me love theater even more. I'm actually yeah, surprised that I let myself at the time to even go see musicals because I know how fixated I was on focusing on science and not letting anything else get in the way. And your roommate from freshman orientation, he's in the touring group of Hamilton. Yes. Wait, okay. Where did you? (laughs) So I'm very impressed. Yes. Trey, he's in the touring cast of Hamilton. I've been so supportive of everything he's done. And he's been so supportive of everything that I've been doing more recently. It's so crazy. And when we roomed together, he was very, very humble. And I didn't know how talented he was until I got into the theater department. When I saw him perform in the Heights which was also written by uh, Manuel Lynn Miranda. He was the main character. He was so amazing and so talented. And I'm honestly not surprised that he got a role in Hamilton. He's very, very talented. (laughs) But you're talented too. I mean, you just did one on video improv and I am blown away by just the different accents that you've been able to do so well. I think you even had a voice accent agent while you were there at university, right? I didn't get a voice acting agent until after I graduated. My very last semester, I had to take a couple of upper division theater courses. I didn't didn't know what to take. Voice acting? I guess I'll take it because it fits in my schedule. All these classes that I wanted to take did not fit my schedule. So remember, I'm taking 23 hours. And so I only had a number of classes that I could only take. All right, voiceover, I'll take that. Let's see where that goes. Voiceover and narration. Loved the class so much. It was a very small class. I think there were about 12 students. And so most theater classes were small, but this was a tiny class. And so we had a lot of like one-on-one mentoring with our professor. I looked up to my professor a lot because I remember the very first day of class, our professor asked us, all right, guys, who here loves their voice? Looked around the room. No one raised their hand. And we all had to go around the room and state what we hated or what we loved and what we hated about our voice. I told the class, well, one thing that I really hate about my voice is that it's very high pitched. I mean, I could like talk down here, but it just like requires a lot of effort. Like naturally I just talk up here. And I think my voice, it's a little flamboyant. And I think that can turn some people off. It took me a long time to really love myself. After that class, my professor, he played a huge role in helping me love myself. My professor, who's openly gay, and he's won so many voiceover narration awards. And he said, Darian, I understand where you're coming from. I am gay myself, and I hate my voice sometimes. But you just have to remember that that's who you are. That's your identity. And what's so amazing about voices is that we're able to change it and adapt. And so if you're wanting to get into the voiceover industry, this class is to help you learn how to use your voice and make it very versatile. 
don't let your natural voice hinder you from getting to this industry. He said a lot of great things that helped me love myself and my voice. Because of him, I became very comfortable in my own skin. Like he gave me a lot of the confidence that I have now. After that, I had a really good repertoire of voices that he helped mold. And I recorded everything, had a demo put together, sent it to a couple of agencies. Most of them reached out to me. And then I found an agency that I love and I've been with them for the past three years. Let's jump back a bit. Your brother actually gave you a camera when you were young and that's when you started doing all these videos. And then you continued on even at university and you were posting on meme pages. I think getting my first camera, I took a lot of pictures, made a lot of videos and I would post them on my personal Facebook page. And then eventually Instagram came around, but they didn't have the video feature yet. So I posted a lot of like silly photos on Instagram. Snapchat came around during my senior year in high school. That's when I really made a lot of short, silly videos. And it was to entertain my friends. And I just kept doing that. I mean, I got my own laptop with my own webcam. I started making more short videos and I just made a lot of them throughout college. And when I look back, I'm kind of embarrassed by some of the videos. So they're still on my Facebook, but I privated like almost all of them. But I made a lot of silly, silly, silly videos with my roommates. And I just kept doing it throughout college. And I would post them in meme pages. And meme pages weren't really popular at the time. I think after I graduated college, that's when meme pages became more relevant, especially with UC Berkeley. They were probably one of the first schools that had the biggest meme page. And then all the other schools across the nation just kind of followed. And that's when I started posting a lot of my specifically science videos in those meme pages. And that blew up. So eventually you transitioned to starting your own Facebook page, which was your name, which eventually turned into shenanigans. Right. So I made all these short videos. I found myself working late in lab. I just wanted to remind you that I'm a research technician. And so I found myself working really late in the lab. Before I would leave lab, I'm just going to spend the next 10 minutes making this short video and post it on my Instagram. At this point, Instagram already had the video feature and Instagram copied Snapchat and had the story feature. And so I would make all these short videos and post it on my personal Instagram story. And I'm getting messages from my friends like, oh my gosh, this is so funny. I thought, okay, well, let me just post these videos in these meme pages on Facebook. And the very first video that I posted in a meme page was the one where I'm holding up a pipette and I'm pretending to review it like a makeup product. And I think overnight, it just gained about like six, 7,000 likes. And eventually it gained like 15,000 likes over the next period of weeks. And that prompted me to make my own Facebook page where I just really dumped all of my silly videos that I made late in the lab. And I couldn't think of a name at the time. So I just thought, okay, let me just name this Facebook page, Darian. So I named it Darian. And within the first week, oh my gosh, I gained 10,000 followers on this Facebook page. I realized, oh my gosh, I think I'm onto something. Like people like myself. Okay, wow. I'll keep doing this. And I kept staying late in lab and I just kept producing these videos and people really liked them. And then slowly I transitioned to Instagram and then on TikTok. I wanted to ask more about your actual work before we deep dive into that part you mentioned previously that you were thinking of doing a phd straight but you decided to take a gap year and i wonder why that was so because you mentioned that you didn't feel that you were ready for a phd 
but then you were doing so well. Despite being confident in certain fields like my sexuality, I think I didn't feel confident academically. I think sometimes I can be so hard on myself. Despite working in a lab in undergrad for three years and having a lot of research experience, I still felt unqualified to even apply for grad school. In the same vein, I was still trying to figure out, am I passionate with medicine? And if I am, then I'll pursue an MD-PhD. I was very lucky to work under an MD-PhD mentor. She gave me a lot of really good advice. She explained that medical school is very straightforward, where you have everything structured. All you have to do is just pass your exams and get into residency and you're, bam, you're a doctor. But with grad school, think of it as if you're in the middle of a swamp, you're on a boat that's sinking, you only have half a map and you're trying to navigate through and find land. That's what grad school is like. You're lost. You're trying to figure everything out. And that was a really good analogy because I love problem solving. And so I thought it's reassuring that if I go to medical school, everything is already laid out for me, but there is some excitement of not knowing what holds ahead of me. And I think that's why I decided to ultimately pursue a PhD. I didn't realize that until a year after I started working as a research tech. And I applied for neuroscience programs, and I received an offer from the neuroscience program at Baylor College of Medicine, and I accepted their offer. At this time, when I accepted their offer, this is when my social media started to really, really pick up. All these opportunities have been coming my way, and I really wanted to do all these opportunities at the same time, go to grad school. But I was very hesitant in doing both because... I know that if I tried doing both, I wouldn't put all of my attention in school and I'm always afraid of failing. So I asked the program directors if it's okay for me to defer for a year. And if COVID wasn't happening, the plan was to take up on this job offer where I would become a host for this YouTube series, these videos for a Singapore scientist to move to Singapore to live in Singapore for a year do all of that and come back and do my PhD. But because of this pandemic, things have been dragging out. But I think a lot of other good opportunities have come out of this pandemic. A lot of student organizations at various universities holding a lot of online virtual meetings, and they want some keynote speakers or guest speakers. And so they'll reach out to me. And so it's been amazing. Every week I've been giving a talk at different schools, mostly in Canada. I recently just gave a talk at a STEAM symposium. So we're familiar with STEM, but there's this other acronym, STEAM, Science, Technology, Engineering, Arts, and Mathematics. And they invited me to be a keynote speaker because they thought that my background in both biochemistry in theater made me very well suited for this event and loved it. The symposium consisted of teachers in Cali. It was held by the California Department of Education. So gave that talk at that symposium and then I gave other talks across other schools in the U.S. And I gave a talk at a school in Mexico. And then I think in the next coming months, I'll give a talk to a, a school in Australia. So you're doing all that while you are still a research technician and you are studying a neurological disease called HATS. Is that right? Yes. So HATS is an acronym which stands for the hypotonia ataxia and delayed development syndrome. It's a very rare neurodevelopmental disorder where the muscles in these children stiffen 
and they have trouble walking. This disease isn't very well studied. And so my project is to study the syndrome in mice. And so I've been characterizing these mice for the past two and a half years. And we're actually reaching towards the end of this project and I'm wrapping it up and I'm putting this paper together and this will be my first author publication. So I'm very excited. <laughs> wow. And this is what I learned from watching of your TikTok videos. There are a lot of different people in the lab and I would love for you to share because they're like undergrads, grads, research tech, postdoc, lab managers, PI. Yeah. How do they all come together? What are their different roles? And it seems like there is a certain stereotype for each of them. Yes. Right? <laughs> I like to see the lab like an ecosystem. Everyone works under the principal investigator, the PI. They're the ones who own the lab. They're like the big boss. And I always stereotype them as being very serious and they never smile. And so in all my videos, I always portray the PI as very serious. I can promise you in all my videos, you will never see the PI smile. And <laughs> the lab managers are kind of like the backbone of the lab where they supply all the equipment, all the stuff that we need to run our experiments. And the undergrads, and I'm just stereotyping, this isn't true for every undergrad, but I see them as the slacker. Ugh, they're always on their phone. They're just there just to say that they have research experience. They just want to put this on their resume or their CV. Postdocs are very serious with their experiments. Grad students, they're focused on their experiments, but they're also very laid back. They're like the cool people of the lab. And then the research techs, this is based on my personal experience, are very insecure and they are always afraid of messing up and they're very sensitive. I love playing on that because when people think of a research lab, they just think of, oh, everyone in the lab is a researcher. No, there are different roles in the lab and we all have different jobs to maintain and help the lab to keep running. With all my videos, I either try to educate my followers or try to make content that's relatable or show them science is accessible to them. And that what they see on TV about research is not entirely true. And I want to like break down this facade and show them, no, like research labs are actually like this. Like we're human beings that we have different roles. We do different things. Not everyone is the same. And what I love is that you definitely do show that. And you also love to ask people who are also doing that, how their experience is like. And you tend to ask on your Insta stories, what Hi. is MFNT? <laughs> what does that mean? Because I was so confused. <laughs> so I've started the series on my Instagram story where I asked my followers, what is the MFing mother T? And in gay lingo, T is kind of like, what's the drama? Like spill the drama, like what's the drama in your lab, in your life, in your field. And I hear really crazy stories like, oh my gosh, my colleague just broke up with his girlfriend and started sabotaging her experiments. Or, oh my gosh, this PI is sleeping with this student. And it's just, you hear all these shocking stories. And I run these series for two reasons. One, to show, I feel like we're just all interested in drama in every form. And so I do it for the entertaining aspect. But the second aspect is I want it to be educational and to show others that aren't familiar with research or not science oriented, to show them that behind this door, we have drama too. Like we're human beings, we have conflicts and we don't all just get along that there is drama in love. And so that's why I run that. It's very fun. And it's also educational to some degree. And I think that's kind of the running theme with all of my videos where I really try to reel in the, the viewers 
by making my videos, my content entertaining. And then as a byproduct, I want them to come out of it learning something like, oh, I think I just learned something like, oh, whoa, like researchers actually do that. Wait, he just explained this concept in a very digestible way that I understand. I will never forget this. Wow. Or I will never forget this for my next exam. And that is the running theme for all of my content. First part, entertaining, byproduct, educational. Do you feel like there was no such content prior to you entering this space and doing this sort of thing? Or maybe not your particular brand of humor? Honestly, I I don't think I created anything new. I think I'm just lucky enough that someone happened to share it and that happened to spread like wildfire and people just began to notice me more. That's the way that I see it. I'm just having fun. And in the very beginning, the way how everything turned out, I don't think I saw my lab shenanigans brand going in this direction. When I first started out, it was just to really create fun, entertaining videos. And that's why I came up with the name Lab Shenanigans. But then there reached a point where I noticed that I have a large online platform. I need to do something good with this platform. I can keep creating entertaining content, but I want to make a change. And my way of making a change is, okay, well, am I really like using my theater background and making these videos? I think to some extent I am. Well, let me really embrace my background training in theater and really use it in my videos. And so I think TikTok was a perfect platform for it. If you're not familiar with TikTok, it's a social media platform where we make 30 to one minute videos. There are different trends, a lot of dance trends, but one of the more popular trends is to use a pop culture audio and to lip sync to the audio and create a relatable situation or scenario to the lyrics of that audio. How did you first get onto the TikTok platform? I joined as a joke. I had no intentions on taking it seriously. When I joined, which was probably July 2019, that's when TikTok just rebranded itself. It used to be Musical.ly. And I don't know if you remember, but Musical.ly was very cringy. And so when I joined, it still had that cringy Musical.ly residual. And I just did not want to take that seriously. But when I joined, I think people started to like TikTok and I started to understand and really relate to the humor that was in the app. And I noticed that like there wasn't a lot of science content. So this was the perfect time for me to experiment and change my content up a bit. I can keep my videos entertaining, but I want to make a difference. Let me try to make them also educational. People are are lip syncing to these audios and applying them to relatable situations. Well, what if I try doing something different where I try using those lyrics, those audios and applying them to a biology, biochemistry or chemistry concept and make it in a way where it's digestible so that the viewers can understand it or at least learn something from it, something small, or at least like prompt them to search up, oh, what does this mean? What he did was interesting. I want to learn more about it. And that was my goal with TikTok. And I think it went very well with my very first science concept video that I made, which dealt with mitosis. I was using an audio clip from the show Dance Moms. The words are just so perfect to this one specific process of mitosis. And it just worked out so perfectly. And overnight, I I was not expecting anything big from it. It was just honestly me to have fun and me just to, to create entertaining content. But overnight, oh my gosh, I gained 19,000 followers overnight. That blew my mind. And that's 
when I realized, okay, I think I'm definitely onto something. Let me continue doing this. And I continued doing it. And over the past year or so, I racked up about 500K followers. And I started sharing those videos on my other social media platforms, on Facebook, on Instagram, Twitter, and people just ate it up. People liked it. And so I love this type of content that I'm doing, but I know later on, I'm going to keep continuing to change the content because trends are evolving. We just have to keep up with the times. So I am still wanting to keep the entertaining and educational factors in all of my content. I think at one point, Unila also picked up your video and they showed the one where you use one lab coat for seven different looks. Yeah, so that <laughs> that was so early on. This is before I used TikTok. And this was when I was just doing random lab shenanigans, but also just having fun in lab to show that we researchers spend a lot of time in lab, but we have fun too. And this is my way of having fun. This is my way to express myself. And that's actually one of the videos that I made in college where I would turn one object and I would make several outfits out of them. With all my friends, they know that this type of material is nothing new, but it's one of the first content that I made on my Facebook page that was kind of brand new. And I was surprised that people liked that. (laughs) It's such a crazy experience. And I think out of all my videos that I made on Facebook, I think that's the most liked video with, I think, 37,000 likes about. And that got a lot of media coverage from all these different media companies in different countries. So that was mind blowing to me. But I was just so shocked, even though like I am confident in my sexuality, I know that there's going to be a group of haters who are just homophobic and who just don't like any gay people, gay material. So to see that video picked up to me meant that, okay, like, wow, it's 2020. Like people are actually moving on. Like people aren't as closed minded and people found this video funny. Wow. So that was very impressive to me. And I think that kind of just like reassured me that if you're having fun and you're just being yourself, then people are going to love you with the way that you are and that you shouldn't change yourself for anyone. And I think I've always tried to keep that in the back of my mind with all the content that I make, that when I make something, I need to make it for myself and not for my audience, for my followers. And I think a lot of content creators tend to kind of lose themselves in that where they want to create content specifically for their followers to cater their followers' interests. But I think if you just have fun in all your videos and you do what you want to do and what you love, then I think that will organically attract more followers and people will love you for being you. Was this a realization that you came to gradually? Because I think there was a point where you also ran yourself into a burnout and you had to recover from that. Right. So, oh man, you are so spot on. Yeah. So I'd probably say like a year in working as a research technician, that's when I began experiencing burnout. I stayed really late in lab. Before that, I had a very naive mindset where I thought I was young and I can just stay up late and I don't have to like pay the consequence. Like my body can handle it. No, my body eventually gave up. And while I was experiencing burnout, That's when I also realized with my content that I wanted to change things up. I need to add some flair. So it just all happened together where I was a little kind of unsatisfied with how I was treating my body and unsatisfied with the type of content that I was producing online. Like, yes, entertaining, it's fun, but I just felt like I wasn't making a difference at all. 
And so I think once I began to really love myself and allowed myself to treat myself better, going home at a reasonable time and started exercising more. You were going home at 2, 3 a.m. and back in the lab by 7 a.m. That's insane. (laughs) If you notice, all of my videos early on were posted around that time, around like 2 a.m., 1 a.m. And it's because after I was done working in lab, I would make a quick video and post it. When you say quick video, it was a couple hours just for a couple seconds video. It depended. It depended. Some videos were not even five to 10 minutes. Other videos, especially the ones on TikTok, those required more time. I think the longest video or the video that I spent the longest time on was the video where I am using a clip from Scary Movie 2. And I... (laughs) I'm running down a hallway screaming, or not really screaming, but like mouthing, screaming. And that video, it was an infected cell getting chased by a killer T cell. That video took about, I think, two and a half hours to film because I'm very meticulous when it comes to having like the right facial expressions and the right emotions when I'm filming. That's where my theater degree comes in. (laughs) That's where the actor comes out. And also, because it was late at night, the janitors were in the background a lot. And before that video, I had already gotten in trouble for making a video where there was a janitor in the back. And so for all of my subsequent videos, I had to be very careful to not include anyone else. But the janitors just kept coming. They're trying to do their job. And then here's like this little boy trying to make a video. And so I kept having to reshoot certain scenes because either I didn't have the right expression or emotion or because a janitor was in the back. And yeah, (laughs) so that video specifically took two and a half hours. But on average, my TikTok videos can take up to like 30 minutes to make. But with my early, early, early content on Facebook, those took probably five, 10 minutes to make. And you mentioned janitor being there. So I imagine no one else was in the lab with you. How did, for instance, your PI react when she first found out about what you were doing? Because you weren't just using your time in the lab. You were using equipment as well, like the test tubes to make high heels or like the beakers to make boobs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. So one thing that I love about my PI is that from day one, she's been super supportive of everything I've done because I think out of everyone in lab, she knows me the best. And despite what everyone sees online, I am actually very hardworking and I take my job very seriously. So she knows how hard I work in lab. And we kind of made like a a deal where as long as you're doing what you're doing, like in lab still, you can have fun after. As long as it's PG, it's appropriate, and you don't set the lab on fire, then you're fine. And that was kind of our deal early on. And I remember when she first found one of my viral videos, it was actually me reviewing the pipette. I was so embarrassed. I thought, oh my gosh, like in lab, I'm very quiet. I just focus on my experiments. So for my PI to see this, this different side of me, oh my gosh, she's going to think that I just slack around, that she probably thinks that I don't take my job seriously. But when she saw the video, she came up to me. She's like, oh my God, that video was so funny. And I was like in defense mode. When she brought that up and I said, I actually don't fool around after you leave. I still do all my experiments. I make these videos right before I leave. And she said, no, like, I trust you. I know you, you work very hard and keep making them. I think what you're doing is funny. And oh my gosh, I was just mind blown. And I continued to do that. And 
She has been super supportive with all the type of content I made. But eventually, our institution found out and I kind of got in trouble with them. They had a very strict policy on not including like the school logos in my videos. Totally understandable. That just meant that, okay, I have to be aware that one, no janitor or no one is in the background of my videos. Two, that I don't include the logos of my institution in the videos. And also the third rule, which is also kind of common sense is to not include any live animals. So those are kind of like the three main rules that I abided by with all of my subsequent videos. And in terms of being a content creator, one of the things we always have to do is to be consistent, consistent. And there's always that issue of how do you find more ideas to create more videos? So how do you deal with those? I think I'm at a good point where I have a lot of ideas and sometimes I will just shower and randomly think of an idea. And that's when I will grab my phone and just type it in my notes app. And I will just have a list of all these ideas. And when it comes to a point where I'm like, all right, what should my next video be? I don't know. I'll just pull up the list. And spending a lot of time in the lab, especially with the experiments that I do, I'm just there alone with my thoughts doing my experiments. And I think that gives me a lot of time to brainstorm my content. Or sometimes when a funny situation happens, I always try to find the humor in awkward situations. And I will just come up with something if I see something that that is worthy of making content for. So I will write that in my notes app and later on make a video on it. But I know eventually I'm going to run out of ideas, but I think I'm at a good point where I'm going to keep brainstorming and keep producing until I run out. Do you think you eventually collaborate with some of the big scientists who are also on social media as well, like Chris Sutherland or Nick Yuhas, Raven Baxter? Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Chris Sutherland, oh my gosh, we are wanting to collaborate together. I definitely want to visit him once this pandemic's over. I want to visit him in Cali, in LA. Raven, I want to collaborate with her too. And recently I was on her YouTube series, Stembassy. That was fun. And I will collaborate with her. Nick Yuhas. Oh my gosh. It would be a dream to collaborate with him. I reached out to him one time, but I think he's just crazy, super busy. But give me a couple more months. I think hopefully he'll notice me. Get your then- followers to just spam his comments. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they need to do. I need to ask them to do that. <laughs> How do you build that kind of community with all your followers? Because I notice the people who comment, they love what you're doing. They're constantly tagging people and going, I get it. I get it. I love it. I resonate so much. So how do you build that relationship with people that you probably might not meet in person ever? I think some content creators, they kind of see themselves as too high of a figure where they just do not talk to their followers at all. Do not comment. And I think... I'm not like that. Like I really try to go out of my way to talk to people. And so that's also why I do the, like the motherfucking tea where I invite my followers to submit stuff. And I want this to be kind of like a conversation and to showcase that, Hey, I want to talk to you guys. And I try to do that with a lot of my videos too, where I try to make it very relatable so that they can understand it and think like, Oh my gosh, like I understand, or I go through that too, or I think that too, or, Oh my gosh, this is wonderful. I will never forget this video. And I try to comment on most of the comments or reply to the comments. And I think by doing that, that creates a sense of community and really just like brings 
me and my followers closer together because I want to show them that like, I think a lot of them really idolize me and I don't want them to do that because I make mistakes too. I'm human and I'm no one, like I'm not worth, <laughs> you shouldn't idolize me. I'm just like, I'm but like, <laughs> I'm a human being. I make mistakes. I'm not this perfect person image that you're thinking of. I'm just human. And so I really want to show them this all goes back to tearing down this facade that I am this great, super smart person. Like, no, sometimes I do dumb stuff all the time. <laughs> and do you face like keyboard warriors as well? I mean, you mentioned homophobia and then you're Asian as well. And as I understand, Asians are not treated that great in the science community. Oh, that's tough because I'm kind of weird where like I'm, I'm confident in some areas and then I'm very self-conscious and not as confident in other areas. And I think I'm more so hard on myself where like sometimes I think I'm not good enough. But I think when other people think that about me, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I don't care. Or like sometimes I'll get like hate comments like, oh my God, you're gay. You're a faggot. And I'm just thinking, okay, yeah. Why is that a bad thing? And with those comments, they don't phase me at all because I am gay. So that's like saying, oh my gosh, look at you. You're wearing a black shirt. Like, I don't get how, why is that a bad thing? And when it comes to academia, I know that the intention behind everything is to better you as a scientist. So I never take it personally. Or when sometimes when I'm presenting at lab meeting or updating the lab with my data and I get ripped apart, I know that. It's not to hurt my feelings. It's not to really downgrade me, but there are ways for me to improve my data or to quantify certain things. And so when it comes to academia, like I don't take anything personally. And I mean, I haven't experienced it yet, like racism in STEM, but when that happens, I think I I would be confident enough to face it and call whoever out on it. Yeah. I imagine a lot of people look up to you because they want to do what you're doing. So if they want to venture into the world of TikTok, what would your advice be? This sounds very cliche and you're probably going to hate me because you're going like, to be like, oh my God, Darian, like we need a better answer. But <laughs> <laughs> really like post the stuff that you like to do, that you want to do and post the type of content that makes you happy. Because when your followers see that you're having fun in your content, then they'll have fun watching it too. And that's why I think a lot of videos that are humorous, I think the reason why they're funny is because whoever's recording, they're laughing along with the joke, or at least that's what the videos are on my free page. But I think that's why like a lot of people find that type of content humorous because it's like, we're all in on the joke. We're all laughing. And I think with my content, I have a lot of fun filming my videos and I have a lot of fun expressing, showing the fun in, in science. And I think the message is very well perceived by a lot of my followers and they can tell too that I'm having fun. And I think that's why they like my content. So for any like content creators out there, really sounds cliche, just be yourself and produce a type of content that makes you happy because you're not going to make everyone happy similarly to how not everyone's going to make you happy. And do you feel that the content is slightly different for each platform as well? Because the people, yeah. they are different. Every platform has its own different ecosystem that I'm noticing that you kind of have to feed. You also have to be aware, like the type of audiences for each platform. So I think on Facebook, most of my followers are generally older, so they're not going to relate to like the Gen Z humor that I have on my TikTok. 
On Twitter, in my opinion, people are way, way more serious on Twitter and oftentimes will take things out of context. And I think with a lot of large content creators, they will try to cancel you in every single way. So I have to be very, very, very cognizant with what I post on Twitter. I have to like really think what's okay to post on Twitter and what's not okay. Because sometimes, or most of the time, things can be taken out of context. And people will look at all these things that might be problematic with your video and really just try to tear you down. TikTok, I think they're very open-minded and you can post whatever you want on TikTok. And right now TikTok is booming. And I think for anyone who's wanting to become big with content creation, TikTok is the perfect place to go because everyone has an equal opportunity to make it big. Instagram is tricky because Instagram, when they see other social media platforms do something and it's big, then Instagram will try to copy that. And so Instagram is a good combination of all the social media platforms. And so I say hop on Instagram and TikTok if you want to make it big, big. What do you think is the common misconception that people have about what you're doing? I guess the misconception is that, are you even like a scientist? Do you even work in the lab? What do you even do? And I'm generally unfazed by hate comments, but sometimes these comments do bother me. And I feel like sometimes that I have something to prove, but then I also have to take a step back and think, no, like I don't have to prove anything to them. They don't need to know. Once I have this paper published, then they'll understand how much work I do in the lab and how I'm able to manage my time and also have fun. But I, I want to, I guess, like clear that up that I do joke around but also I do take my work seriously. I take science and academia very, very seriously. So how do you manage your time? Because managing all these different platforms, the fact that they're such different ecosystems, takes so much time, but you do it so effortlessly while doing this job in the lab. I mean, some of my friends are in labs. The first and only question I have is, where does he find the time? Because you live <laughs> in the lab. My friends are saying, all of my Christmases are spent in the lab. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> I think everyone has hobbies where if you're not spending time in the lab, you're spending time with friends or you're riding your bike or you're reading a book. My hobby is social media. And so it may look like, how am I able to do it? No, it's really not that bad. When I'm taking a break, I'll be on my phone. I'll quickly make this post. That's that. It's more learning how to manage your time. And during my breaks, I'll quickly post something and I will sometimes cross post. Like I'll create a a video on TikTok and then just post it on every social media platform. Do you have a specific schedule? Like, okay, Monday at this time, I'm going to do this. I'm going to batch all these things. Here's the thing. I should because uh, (laughs) Facebook, (laughs) Instagram, and TikTok, they have really good tools to look at your analytics to see when your followers are most active. And my management team is telling me, well, you need to take advantage of that. You need to see when they're most active and post at that time. But sometimes I get so impatient and I'm like, well, I just spent so hard working on this video and I want to post it now. So sometimes impulsively, I will just post a video randomly. And sometimes it bites me in the butt because the video won't do well. Or maybe the video itself is just not good. (laughs) But a good advice for all my soon-to-be content creators, definitely take advantage of the analytics tool and post during the times when your audiences are most active. And then you mentioned a management team. So are you expanding the kind of team that's helping you to do what you're doing? Yeah. 
Her official title is a YouTube consultant, but she's been doing a lot of amazing things for me. And her team, they've been just giving me good advice on how to expand pretty much my YouTube platform and giving me advice on how to negotiate and accept brand deals and collaborations. And really before I used to, when I was getting all these like sponsorships and collaboration deals, I didn't really know my like self-worth and I would allow myself to get lowballed by all these companies. I just felt stingy asking for more money. Like, I know you're going to pay me a hundred dollars. No, not even a hundred. Like you're going to pay me $50 for this, but like, can we bump it up to a hundred? And my team is just like, no, like a hundred is not even that much. You need like $3,000. And I'm like, what? And they have been so amazing in supporting me. And like I said, really showing me like my own self-worth. And so they're just amazing people. And they also have helped me grow as a content creator learning how to negotiate and how to accept or decline brand deals. What's the advice for those who are trying to monetize? Because that is the big question, right? How much am I worth? And there is no number that you can actually land on and say, this is exactly what I'm worth. Early on before I I had my team, I discussed with other content creators who are like very well established. And I wish I had listened to them because their advice was also similar to my management team. But I just thought, oh, well, it's because they're big. And so they can accept all that money. But I'm such a small content creator. So maybe I don't deserve as much. No, like, don't be shy to ask other content creators, especially large content creators to ask them for advice. I know there are also other algorithms on Google that you can just like search up. I have this many followers or this is my engagement. How much should I charge? And there are good calculators on Google that will tell you all that. And one of the big things that you've done is you launched a merchandise store beginning of this year. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I created this store because a lot of the other science stores that I saw online, one didn't cater to my interests. I guess my aesthetic is like very retro, very 80s, very 90s. And I just didn't see that online. So I created my merchandise store for that reason. But also there was just not a lot of representation of different types of researchers on other online merchandise stores. And so I created my store for those two reasons. And honestly, I didn't think too much of it. It was just more like, all right, here's a store. If you guys like my aesthetic, which I didn't think anyone would like, because I don't know, sometimes I'm like, maybe my merchandise items are a little too childish or kiddish, but it's something that I like. So whatever, I don't care. I'm going to still post it. So it really surprised me to see how well the store is is doing. It's good passive income. And so I was just genuinely shocked and surprised to hear that a lot of people like the items on my store and that people say that I'm making a difference. And I'm like, I don't know, am I making a difference? I'm just doing me. I'm just having fun. I'm just doing what I want to do. And I think that really does reemphasize the fact that if you just have fun and do what you want to do, people will see your passion and they'll begin to love you for that reason. Any exciting new items coming up that we can learn about? Definitely. I want to create enamel pins on my store because I love pins so much. And so I'm trying to ask my vendors to sell enamel pins and other opportunities. I can't really say, but definitely a lot of TV opportunities are coming my way, which is surprising because I I never thought that an opportunity like that would even come my way at all. Like I always 
saw myself just being stuck in the lab and not really doing anything TV production. That's so surprising to me, but definitely honored. And who knows, like maybe this is my way of meeting Bill Nye, the science guy, or Chris Sutherland, or Raven, the science movie. <laughs> <laughs> and for parents who are trying to introduce their kids to love science more, what do you think are the best resources for them to direct the kids? I'm a, a 90s girl, so I want to stick to the classics. Bill Nye, the science guy, Magic School Bus. And there's a show that no one really knows about. But it's called Beekman's World. And it's very similar to Bill Nye. And I also grew up watching that show. So I say those three shows. And YouTube has become so popular. And there's a lot of great science YouTube content. So I think definitely those four resources. And I think it's very clear for anyone listening that you have so much joy and so excited. And for me, that's so incredible because of what you experienced when you were young. So I wonder if there's any advice for those who have experienced tragedy. How do they find that joy and continue living life to the fullest? I just watched the movie Soul. So it's so fresh on my mind, but really stop and smell the roses and appreciate every moment of life and appreciate everything and pursue something that you truly, truly love. It took me the longest time to realize that I don't want to do medicine. And I wish I had followed my gut instinct early on and expedite the entire process by realizing that early on. But I think there was a sense of doubt. And so I didn't follow my gut instinct. I didn't follow my passion all the way through. And so there was kind of a detour, but I mean, hey, that's life. In life, everything isn't so straightforward. But my biggest advice is to really follow the stuff that you're passionate about and always try to remain positive and always try to see the bright side of things. I mean, you're only 25 and you've done so much already. Looking back, what do you think your dad would say about everything that you've achieved? My dad is very traditional, but despite him being very traditional, I know for sure that he would be so, so proud of everything I've done. And you are an open book. You share so much. So can you tell us one thing that we don't already know about you? Oh, well, you probably might know because if you saw my Instagram story recently, then you probably already know this. But I used to be a drag queen senior year. And then the summer after my senior year in college, after I graduated, my drag name was Miss Margaret Moon. Oh, is that the character that always appears in all of your different clips? Yes, yes. So my Margaret, the lab manager, the early version of her was Miss Margaret Moon, my drag persona. I don't know. For some reason, I was like, I want this character to be like the Asian auntie that everyone kind of loves because she's just so truthful and honest, but kind of hates because she's too truthful and honest and just sometimes negative. Hmm, what is like an older Asian lady sounding name, Margaret, <laughs> Margaret. And I'm into drag names that are alliteration. And so I thought Miss Margaret, but I thought Miss mm, Margaret, that's too simple. What's an Asian last name? And then I thought of the Korean last name Moon. So Miss Margaret Moon. So that's how she was born, 2017. So thank you so so much, Darren, for your time. I normally end my interviews with this question. So first one is, do you feel that you have found your why? I want to say no. It's still an ongoing process. I probably won't be able to definitively answer this question until literally the day that I die. So no, I haven't. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? I want to show people that science is fun and I want to show people how passionate I am in science and how much I love it. I want them to be passionate too. 
And so I want to be able to show or at least ignite this passion in them to love science. And what do you think are the most important qualities a successful person should have? I just realized this and it's easier said than being done. Being financially stable is nice, but I would rather trade that off for something that I truly love. And I think if you truly love something and you go for it, you will make it happen and you will become successful no matter what. And where can people go to find out about what you're doing, connect with you, support? If you want to find me, go to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok at lab underscore shenanigans.com. Not, 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 oh my gosh, not .com. <laughs> lab underscore shenanigans. And if you want to visit my merchandise store and support me, it is labshenanigansmerch.com. And is there anything else that you'd like to share that we haven't covered yet? I don't know if you know this trend on TikTok. And if you don't, you're probably going to be like, what is he talking about? But one thing uh, I do want to share is that I never seen two pretty best friends. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it. Just That's it. And that was the end of episode 32. If you want to know what he meant by a never seen two pretty best friends, well, here's a hint. It's part of a recent TikTok trend. And you can also head to the show notes to learn what it means which can be found at sothismywife.com forward slash 32. If you also want to be updated on the latest episodes, as well as other fascinating and inspiring things I read and learn over the course of the week, make sure you also sign up for the weekly newsletter. The sign up form can also be found at the show notes link, which is sothismywife.com forward slash 32. And stay tuned for next Sunday, because we'll be meeting a software engineer, Tim Sourdough Baker, and blogger of the highly successful and very well-known blog, the perfect loaf, learning how he balances his love of baking with being the co-founder of a popular astronomy app that allows everyone to see the constellations and planets regardless of where they are in the world. So see you next Sunday.